1: guest today is one of the most accomplished players in Australian women's cricket. With a career spanning more than a decade, she has batted in most top order positions in all three formats of the game, has won five world championships and is currently vice captain of Australia and captain of the current champions of the Women's Big Bash League, Sydney Thunder. Our trailblazer today is Rachel Haynes.
0: Rachel, welcome. How are you? Thank you. No, it's great to be here. I'm going really well. Um, just just arrived in the Gold Coast after a, a nice week in Mackay.
1: Yeah, well, you say a nice week in Mackay. My mail tells me that you might have a hamstring injury. What happened?
0: Yeah, look, unfortunately, I picked up a little bit of a niggle in that last ODI that we played Um and had to leave the field so I've had some scans and just waiting on the the results at the moment so fingers crossed it's positive news and um, I'll be back out on the field in no time
1: yeah we certainly hope so would you say Australia's depth is kind of being tested we've been hit by a number of injuries haven't we
0: Yeah, we have. Obviously, it was really unfortunate to lose Jess Jonathan and and Megan Chute prior to the tour. And obviously, with COVID, we've got a a bit of an extended squad here in Australia for this series against India. So there's probably been a little bit of a silver lining to it in that we have also picked up a a couple of niggles along the way throughout this series. And it's given some different players some opportunity. And, you know, in some respects, it's not such a bad thing. We've had a, a very stable squad for quite a number of years now. But particularly heading into the back end of our season with um, an Ashes series and then also a a one-day World Cup um, where there's, I think, maybe nine round matches or something like that. Um, It's a lot of cricket to get through. So perhaps some players who have maybe missed out a few times and, and sat on the bench getting an opportunity in this series isn't such a bad thing.
1: Yeah, perhaps it's actually creating more depth in the long run, isn't it? But can you tell me, do you think that the irregularity, if you like, of sport in a COVID existence, does that contribute to a higher occurrence of these niggling injuries?
0: Yeah, I think probably... You know, we had to complete a hard hotel quarantine uh, just prior to the start of this series. And then, you know, maybe just over a week later, we're playing three one day internationals in the space of, I think, six or seven days. So that is a really tough thing to do. And, um, yeah, I've got no doubt that that's probably contributed a a little bit to some of the soft tissue injuries that that we've seen Obviously, there's, there's me and also Georgia Wurum as well. We had a little bit of a niggle after that first, uh, second ODI. So it, it is really challenging as a, an athlete to be able to, I guess, get yourself to a point where you're ready to go at such a high intensity, having, I guess, sat in a, a room for a, a fortnight or so. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely um, not without its challenges.
1: Rach, I'm a quarantine rookie and I'm sitting in hotel <laughs> quarantine as we chat. I didn't have to stay fit though, so I've got a sloth-like existence. Can you tell me <laughs> how you handle it? Because you're actually a quarantine expert, aren't you? That wasn't your first rodeo.
0: Yeah, that's now I think my third that I've completed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, it's definitely not, not the most enjoyable thing to to go through. I think probably anyone who's done it would have a moment where, they question why they, they're there and, and doing it. And then you sort of get into a bit of a routine. There's some rituals to look at, look forward to, whether it be a little bit of exercise in your room or the meals or, or whatever it may be for you. So they're often the little milestones. They sound really simple, um, but they are the little milestones during the day. And then every now and then you have someone knock on your, your door for a COVID test, which isn't too pleasant. So yeah, it's tough. Like we were, we're fortunate in that we had, Treadmills in our rooms. So that allowed us to, I guess, tick over a little bit um, from a, a fitness point of view. But yeah, it's not quite the same as, I guess, training at the high intensity that you do in preparing to play at this level. Yeah,
1: it's just sad state of affairs when you get excited about someone in PPE with a swab at your door because it's human contact but <laughs> <laughs> it, it is <laughs> the world we yeah. need. Uh, logistically how hard is it to bring a whole team together like how, how much was this tour even up in the air?
0: Yeah I think it really was up in the air for, for quite a, a long time and it was probably a, a matter of days potentially from being cancelled so we're really grateful to India as well, uh, you know, not forgetting that they also agreed to complete a, a hard hotel quarantine. And, yeah, it, it's been a really different preparation as well for our squad. So some people have, have come from states where, you know, there's no COVID and they're, they're living relatively freely and and were able to basically turn up sort of as we exited hotel quarantine. Others, like in New South Wales, you know, if you got caught in an LGA that was in a, a high caseload area. You basically weren't allowed to train with our New South Wales squad, so it's been really different cross section of preparation across the the team. But I think you know, if anything, it's probably showed the resilience of the group in that yeah, it hasn't been ideal preparation, but everyone's just absolutely pumped to be back and playing international cricket. I think after a long preseason and that uncertainty to sort of know that we had some games and um against a really good opposition in India. That, that sort of light of, of hope at the end of the, the quarantine and
1: and how about the Indian players have you had a chance to talk to any of them and get some understanding of what life is like at home for them right now
0: yeah I had a, a really quick chat to Harman Kaur. she's the the captain of the T20 side and she said that you know obviously last year was a really tough time for them and COVID got a, a little bit out of control and there was a a lot of I guess sadness and loss experienced in their country so uh, that was a, a really tough time, not just for their country, but also uh, individual members in in their team as well. So, she said that was a challenge, but now that they've sort of worked their way through that a little bit and you know got more people vaccinated and those sorts of things, so there's probably a a, a little bit less stress around COVID and potentially the the impact um, for different people. So, yeah, in some respects, it was really nice to to hear her say that, and um, she, I, I suppose she was a little bit surprised at how how we're managing it at, at the moment, because it is so different, I guess, to what some other countries have, have been through. But yeah, she was really excited to be here as well. And yeah, looking forward to, to playing the series.
1: And how is it for the Aussies? So you've got the band back together. How long has it been since you gathered as a team?
0: Well, we last played in, or we finished up together in April. I think it was around the first week of April. We had a series over in New Zealand
1: against the the
0: Kiwi side. And, you know, it was probably the the end of a, A long but successful summer for us and uh, really nice to be able to play a couple of international series in such a challenging landscape, not just for sport, but just for the world in general. Um, So we had a a really big break, a a solid pre-season heading into what is a a really busy home summer for us, uh, culminating in that one day World Cup right at the, the back end of our
1: summer. Well, before COVID was a thing, the World Cup final in 2020, that was the last major international event Australia has seen. Does that feel like a lifetime ago for you?
0: Yeah, it does. It's sort of funny now. It's turned into that event in Australia where people go, oh, remember, remember that? Remember when we were there (laughs) and COVID wasn't a thing? And then to think a, a matter of days later, the country was pretty much shut down. You know, our tour to South Africa was cancelled. Just the world changed really quickly and we've never really returned to that moment in time where, you know, big crowds are, are sort of, you know, part of, of the everyday Australian psyche, although it was nice to see a little bit of that at the AFL Grand Final um, last weekend. So, yeah, hopefully that sort of experience isn't too far off and and hopefully the series over in in New Zealand where we see, you know, hopefully international teams return from all over the world that it gets just as much support as, as what we had during that, um, yeah, amazing tournament in Australia.
1: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Our Trailblazer today is Rachel Haynes. Rach, since the World Cup final, it's been such a strange and I, I guess uncertain existence, but is there a silver lining to the lockdowns for you? You've been able to hang out more with Leah. You're preparing for the arrival of your first child. Have you been painting nurseries or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I've been um, removing wallpaper from walls and <laughs> repainting rooms. Yeah, just just putting on the, the finishing touches. I think um, Leah was ready for me to, to disappear for a couple of weeks, given that we were in each other's pocket for... Oh, I don't know how long it was there, in the, three or four months in New South Wales with the lockdown. So yeah, it's a really exciting time for us and and probably a, a period that we didn't necessarily think we would have together. I was meant to go over to England and play in the 100 and withdrew from that just due to COVID and, and quarantine and those sorts of things. So yeah, it was really nice to, to have that time together. It's probably just that last little bit of time we have just with each other as a couple before we we welcome another, another member along. So yeah, it's an exciting time. It's a bit of a nerve-wracking time. I actually did a, a parental course during my hotel quarantine and it left me a little bit more anxious because I have it just made me realise I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I think that the first couple of weeks are going to be interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's all part of the fun, getting everything wrong first. That's why you have more than one child. Um, do, you, <laughs> do you know if you're having a girl or a boy?
0: Oh, we're having a little boy. So yeah, he he's all healthy and, and Leah's healthy as well. So yeah, it's really, it's getting really close. And um, I was chatting to Pete Clark, actually, our, our sports like last night uh, after the the end of the ODI series. And, you know, we we're just sort of chatting about becoming a parent. And I said to him, I still don't feel as though it's real. Like, you know, we've got the nursery at home. Leah's quite obviously pregnant. And we've had all our obstetrician appointments. It's an inevitable point in time where it's going to happen. But yeah, I suppose when I I head home and and get to meet Little Man for the first time, it's all going to become very real.
1: I imagine with two cricket legends as parents, you'd think that your child, regardless of whether they choose it as a career, will have a bat or a ball in hand pretty quickly. For you as a kid, when did that happen? What's your first memory of cricket?
0: Oh, look, it's a bit of a probably quite a a similar story to a lot of other people I, I grew up watching a lot of test cricket on tv and I was just always fascinated by the game and absolutely mesmerized and neither of my parents played but we used to always end up in the backyard as a family playing cricket whenever our our family got together so it became part of my childhood and really sort of synonymous with you know being around people I really loved and and enjoyed and you know having that banter in the backyard and, and sort of taking the mickey out of each other when we made a mistake or, or, or what have you. So, yeah, I absolutely loved growing up and just playing in the backyard. And then eventually my neighbour saw me playing and, and they were starting a, a women's team at, at his club, which North Cricket Club he was affiliated with. And he invited me down and I basically haven't looked back from that moment. So, yeah, it's strange to think that all those little moments out in the backyard as a kid was the start of something so much bigger. But, yeah, it's a, a nice thought
1: it is and I, I think I heard that you used to use a, a remodeled fence paling as a, as a bat yeah. when you were little did you have uh, modified rules like some of us grew up with you know six and out and that sort of thing
0: yeah all those sorts of things um, one hand one bounce but <laughs> if it bounced off the shed next door and landed back in the backyard you know you were, you were safe <laughs> there are a couple of times where we had to absolutely scatter though because at one point we thought it would be a good idea to use a proper cricket ball instead of a tennis ball in the backyard and it smashed one of the windows and everyone just looked at each other and scattered. There were no adults around at that point, but they came out pretty quickly when they realised we'd busted one of the back windows.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Now, you're born on Boxing Day. You're born in Victoria, I believe. Do you spend or did you spend most of your birthdays at the MCG?
0: I did, actually. um, (laughs) From my, I think, like my 18th to my 21st, it it all ended up at um, the MCG on Boxing Day. So, yeah, it was... Just a big ritual to to go to the Boxing Day test every summer in Melbourne, and obviously all my mates were cricket mad too. So we, we'd always end up there, and yeah, I absolutely loved it. Like I remember being there when Shane Warne um, took his was it his six hundredth wicket or or, or or what have you. So yeah, having those amazing memories growing up, you know, it was very very much part of Melbourne life.
1: And your cricket idols, I think Warney was one of them, wasn't he? Yeah,
0: yeah, he was. <laughs> which I, I sort of say in hindsight maybe. Um, that wasn't the greatest role model that I could have fixed. But, yeah, I just, I used to absolutely love watching him bowl. And, yeah, just used to find it mesmerising, just watching him beat the bat or you just always felt like someone, something was going to happen when he had the ball in hand. And that's just what captured my attention. Yeah, I used to absolutely love
1: it. Now, your nickname Des or Desi for West Indian Desmond Haynes. I believe you've met him. What was that like?
0: Yeah, that was really cool, actually. We we had a tour over in the Caribbean, yeah. Um, oh, it must be nearly probably 18 months, two years ago now. We're playing in Barbados and we had a a training session there and we are sort of just out on the ground and all of a sudden this man just comes walking out onto the field and, you know, everyone's just sort of chatting away or, or what have you and sure enough it was Desmond Haynes and... I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot miss this opportunity. I need to get a photo <laughs> with this man. So, yes, yeah, he was he was so cool, like really laid back, typical sort of West Indian character and he loved it. So much so he thought that he might have known my family. I was like, no, there's no way you know my family. But, yeah, it was so cool to meet him. And, yeah, just one of those experiences that you, you have on tour, which, you know, just never would have happened if you hadn't played cricket or or, or been part of the Australian side. So, yeah, it was, it was just a cool little moment.
1: But you should have run with the Uncle Desi line and uh, yeah. you would have had him round every every Christmas as well on your way to the, uh, the MCG. <laughs> uh, as far as your formal cricket, you said that one of the neighbours got you involved. Uh, can I assume that at that point it was probably mostly boys playing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So basically I started playing with the under-12 boys team at, at North Bull, but they were also starting at the time at under-17s girls' side. And so I was only about 12 at the time and they invited me to play in both. They said, we've got this girl's side playing, but if you'd also like to play alongside the boys, you're absolutely welcome to. And I love the idea of, of getting to play alongside the the boys and, you know, it never sort of really me that I would be the only girl there and it, it might be, you know, a little bit awkward or anything like that. I just love the game. So I thought that was a great idea. Well, I even have memories of the kid walking out to bat in this side and, you know some of the the boys in the opposition just sort of doing a bit of a double take and asking if I was a girl and these sorts of things and so at, at the time it was uh, you know it wasn't commonplace for for women to play the game and so I, I could imagine definitely that that would have been you know quite intimidating or, or turned off some some young young girls in the past but I didn't just didn't think too much of it I, I was playing a sport that I absolutely loved and yeah any opportunity I got to be involved I, I wanted to be there and yeah, so it was just a great opportunity and I think the good thing now is obviously the game has grown and there's a lot more playing experiences for for young girls coming through the pathway in Australian cricket is extremely strong now and so, you know, as a, a young girl growing up, you know, you can choose if, if you want to play in the boys side you can play if you want to play on the girls side you can play on that side so. Yeah, it's great to see the the game having evolved so much.
1: Was there anything else that that attracted you? You weren't a, a part time netball or anything.
0: <laughs> oh, I I played every sport growing up as a kid. I absolutely loved just being outside and being part of a team. I played netball, basketball, a bit of soccer. Uh, I played tennis. I just absolutely loved sport at any opportunity when it was at lunchtime at school I'd be out there doing something active after school I used to just sit there and wait for the 3 30 bell and think right I can go to cricket training now and like my whole mentality was just built around getting to the next game or getting to the next training so yeah I wasn't too fussed about what what sport it was I just loved the idea of being part of a team and you know just enjoying the game.
1: So at what stage did you start to take it seriously? Was that something that just evolved because you turned out to be pretty good at it or did you have this epiphany where suddenly you thought I can make a real go of this? Yeah when I was growing
0: up I didn't necessarily know that much about the Australian women's cricket team and um, so I had that one season at Northbourne Cricket Club and then I moved across to Box Hill Cricket Club and they had a, a much larger female playing section than we're probably just a little more across the, the women's pathway in Victoria at that time. And they sort of really planted the seed around me, you know, trying out to play cricket for Victoria and those sorts of things. And then I, I remember I had a, one moment, I must have been about sort of 14 or, or 15, where the ishman side was playing on the MCG. It was just prior to them going away to, I think it was South Africa for their World Cup. And as part of that, back in that day, you're actually able to – sit on the ground around the outside of the field where it was roped off and watch the game, which would never happen these days. But I remember I got to meet the Australian women's team at the MCG and players like Belinda Clark, Catherine Fitzpatrick, Mel Jones, Julie Hayes, Joanne Broadbent you know some of these women that you know at the time I was like I want to do what they're doing you know that just it didn't even occur to me that it wasn't a full-time job or that it wasn't necessarily a career but I just thought it was awesome what they were doing and from you know I was just absolutely hooked and it's sort of strange to think as a you know 14 15 year old kid I didn't know any of those women at that time but you know sort of fast forward 20 years down the track and they've all in some form or another had quite a bit of impact on my career over that time. So obviously, Belinda Clark is an absolute legend of the game and has gone on to be one of the all-time greats, but also off the field as an administrator. She's done a tremendous amount of work for, for the women's game. You know, Joanne Broadbent went on to coach me. Catherine Fitzpatrick went on to coach me as well. And obviously, you know, Mel Jones is a a commentator and you know I played alongside her in the Victorian side too so yeah it's strange to think yeah just that that one moment obviously planted a really big seed and yeah along the way those women have obviously stayed in touch and and been a, a big you know factor in the success of the women's game um, both on and off the field
1: the whole fraternity around women's cricket is so important and, and really quite heartwarming as well I think you crossed paths pretty early at senior level with Meg Lanning at Box Hill perhaps did you have any inkling at that point that the two of you would end up playing really key roles in Australian cricket
0: Oh, not really. Like, we still talk about the Mighty Mustangs now, actually. We, we brought it up the other night. We were around the, around
1: the table and,
0: and talking about some of the glory days of club cricket. But oh, Meg was obviously super talented coming through. I'm, I'm sure you can imagine she was just, you know, amazingly gifted, dominated her age group. And, you know, we sort of played a, a little bit of cricket together um, at Box Hill before I, I moved to to Sydney. You just always knew that she was going to make it. I remember her making her debut at the Wacker in Perth and she scored 100 and, you know, it was just amazing. Um, and obviously she's gone on to just absolutely dominate the world game and, yeah, it's absolutely no surprise to me that she able to have the success that she has. And, you know, in some respects I'm a fan of the game as well. So although we sort of stand alongside each other in the Australian team, yeah, sometimes I'll stand at the other end and watch her bat and just think my God, like that that was incredible, you know, and, and watch her play some shots or have, have an innings where she just dominates and, and just really enjoy being part
1: of that experience as well. Thank you being very humble there, Rachel. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure that uh, other people standing down the other end from you are having those thoughts as well. Uh, of course, for you, it wasn't just cricket all the time. You also did tertiary study. Was that something that was important to you? Or was that coming through school, it was just a means to an end?
0: Well, I didn't go to uni straight out of school. I I just, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And so uh, I actually jumped into the workforce out of school and and just tried to get an understanding of what it was I enjoyed doing. And I ended up going back to uni and completed an undergrad in business marketing. And yeah, I found that really worthwhile. I enjoyed the the subject and, and working my way through that. And yeah, you know, unfortunately, I, I got dropped from the Aussie team sort of in my mid twenties, and I had about a semester left on my undergrad degree, so I got that done and then stepped into more of the traditional workforce. If anything, it, it probably just gave me a little bit of balance, and and since then, I, I've I've finished my my MBA as well. For me, I've always enjoyed having an outlet away from cricket. I've, I've I haven't tried to wrap my identity too much up in the game because it, it does have lots of highs and, and lots of lows. And I think if that's sort of what you build everything around, it can be a really tough to, to navigate at times. So as much as I love the game and, you know, enjoy being a part of this side and the other side that I've been able to, to be part of too, it, it is, I think, hard at times if you just put everything into cricket and things don't quite work out. I've definitely enjoyed having an outlet away from the game and I guess getting my brain to tick along in a different capacity. Yeah, I found that, found that really fulfilling.
1: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Our guest today on Trailblazers is cricket legend Rachel Haynes. Rachel, your CV places you at various times, all up and down the east coast of Australia, I think, as well as uh, stints in the UK. Where do you call home?
0: it's it's funny so I grew up in Melbourne and when I moved to Sydney 12 years ago now when we we're coming back for tour it felt, always felt a little bit odd to say oh I'm going home to Sydney for a long time I felt like a bit of a tourist there still but yeah now definitely when I say I'm coming home I'm, I'm going home to to Sydney and you know part of me is still very much in in Melbourne uh, obviously all my family's still down there but yeah Sydney feels like home for me now and uh, my partner and I we live in in Glebe and we absolutely love it around there. It's nice and close to the, the city, which is which is cool to sort of go in and out of at times, and and beautiful sort of a, along some of the harbour there as well. Yeah, well, we feel very fortunate to live there, and and just love the the community feel of that place too.
1: Yeah, Rach, that all sounds really nice. But tell us honestly, as a player, how hard is it to switch <laughs> allegiance from cricket uh, Victoria to cricket New South Wales?
0: <laughs> yeah, look at. Uh, it's, I think every now and then it still takes some people's breath away when they discover that I used to captain Victoria um, as someone who, who plays in New South Wales now. So there's Sometimes some groans I, I find it in the audience when that gets announced, but yeah, I think I've I've been accepted now as a, a new South Welsh woman, and yeah, that they were were honestly really accepting of me when I, I made that move up. I, I was a, a little bit worried about how potentially it would would all go down, but that they've been very supportive, and I still do have ties to to Victoria. You know, I find myself sort of sitting with the Vicks on on tour during the the Aussie series at times and things like that, so. There's definitely still that Victorian in me. But, yeah, I've really enjoyed my time in New South
1: Wales. <laughs> well, it was 15 years ago, I think, that you made your debut in the Women's National Cricket League. How different did life look as a cricketer to how you live now?
0: Yeah, it's completely transformed. So when I started playing, so we had our domestic set up and that was all built really around one-day cricket. And I remember when I first broke into the Victorian side, you know, T20 was a little bit of a novelty so they'd only just started playing it internationally you know, if you think back to domestic T20 cricket it, they used to get sort of sometimes ex-footballers to come in or celebrities to be the 11th player or, or what whatever you know I'm not quite sure what that was but and then I think everyone sort of realised that it was a format which could be probably a bit more commercially appealing and appealing to families and and a different target demographic than what it was in the past and so I think we've seen over time, certainly the the women's game really has been built around T20 cricket. And, you know, that's been, you know, just awesome to experience that evolution and success. So... You know, we've seen domestically with the WBBL now, the women having their own standalone competition and that really standing on its its own two feet has been amazing. Uh, it tracks some of the best players in the world to come out and play in our domestic tournaments, which in the past there was maybe a scattering of internationals which came out and played in the one-day comp, but it just didn't have the same sort of buzz around it that what T20 cricket does. So it's been awesome to see the evolution, you know, we probably haven't really played a lot of Test cricket. That's sort of something that the players are pushing more and more for. But certainly, that T20 format has been great in growing the game, exposing it to a different audience, and also getting quite a different number of countries playing too. You know, we saw Thailand play at the the last T20 World Cup in Australia, and they just added a whole different, uh, I guess, flavour and culture to the tournament. So that was really, really cool to experience as a, a player. And yeah, hopefully, we'll see more and more of that happen as the game continues
1: to grow. Is T20 of your favourite format?
0: Oh well it's daughter which is sometimes a little bit easier on my body at my age yeah I definitely enjoy playing it I think it's got a, a great atmosphere to it when you're at the, the ground you can sense the excitement from fans and they're really engaged in the teams and the different players in, in teams and those sorts of things from that perspective it's been awesome to be part of but yeah like I, was, I grew, grew up watching test cricket and I just I know as a, a player that is the ultimate test of your skill and your mental application and And so part of me does just have a a bit of a soft spot for that format of the game as well.
1: Ah, so you're a traditionalist at heart, see?
0: That's (laughs) right.
1: What about touring? Do you remember your, your first tour? my first tour was
0: to England so there was a a T20 World Cup in England I just missed selection on that but I got bought in for the Ashes series over in the UK and that was in 2009 and back in that that sort of stage we were only really touring with the national team maybe once once every 12 months or or twice every 12 months whereas now there's three four tours a year you you could be away from home for any stretch of, of time but yeah I remember that tour really fondly I was so excited to to join the side for the first time. I basically achieved one of my childhood dreams, and yeah, you know, I remember my first roommate, which in those days you, you used to share a room. And my first roommate was Karen Ralton, who is just an absolute oh, wow. legend of the game. And so I walked into the room and just sort of been in awe and not really knowing where to put my bags or like you know, which bed is mine, you know, sort of thing So yeah, it was an amazing experience, and I went on to make my ODI debut at Lords. I was just living this cricket fantasy life it was amazing and then you know a few days later I had Alan Border presenting my test cap so you know I was just my mind was just completely blown it it was just an incredible time to be part of and yeah it's all just gone so quickly I can't sort of believe that we're now you know potentially 10-12 years down the road.
1: Well, you've just wrapped up most people's cricket dreams in one rookie tour there. <laughs> uh, of course, the game since it's taken you all around the world, do you have a favorite place to play? Ooh, I do. I, I there's two
0: countries I really enjoy playing cricket in. The first one is India. And just because it is so foreign to what we're we're used to in Australia, from the conditions to, you know, the food, the lifestyle, it's just captures all your senses and challenges you in so many different ways physically it's so hot and can be really just quite confronting so I love playing over there like also just the spin of the ball as well it's just nothing like playing in Australia where perhaps we have a bit more bounce in our wickets and the, the ball slides onto the bat a little bit more so it's just a completely different challenge and I think from a, a lifestyle and off-field perspective you can't go past um, you know the West Indies it's, it's a pretty cool place to tour you know obviously on the field it's good fun but off the field you, you pretty much walk out your, your hotel room onto a beach somewhere on, on some amazing island so yeah you can't beat that from an off-field perspective, I think.
1: And do you get to play tourist often or do you actually pick completely different places for your actual holidays?
0: No, I do pick different places for my holidays just because by the end of a long tour, you just feel like you need to completely recharge and a change of scenery. So, you know, we've been playing in the, the UK, I've, I've been over to Greece or Italy a couple of times, which have been some good fun in terms of a, a holiday and just being able to, to recharge. Yeah, you know, Sometimes if there's back-to-back tours, you don't necessarily get get that time to perhaps turn a tour into a holiday, but yeah, I've definitely taken those opportunities when there's been a little bit of a break in the calendar just to to recharge and experience some of the world. Speaking of
1: recharging, I I guess you probably don't get to sit around and watch too much television, but if you do, are you a fan of any other sports?
0: Look, I I do watch a a lot of cricket in my downtime, which sounds a little (laughs) bit sad, but I I do enjoy watching the game. I I also watch a a fair bit of AFL. I, I follow the Richmond Tigers and they've had a really good run over the last couple of years so it's been good to to follow them I, I watch a little bit of f1 racing too i don't quite know where that's landed in my spectrum of sport but for some reason i've just been really drawn to it and i don't race cars myself i don't really have an interest in doing that but i just find it really mesmerizing the tactics sometimes and and watching people succeed in in that type of racing yeah they're probably the the main sports and a little bit of tennis as well i enjoy watching the tennis
1: oh, Rach, how many speeding tickets have you had be honest
0: <laughs> no i've actually never had a, a, a speeding to it in my life I want to touch wood somewhere but um I'm sitting at a glass table but yeah hope I'm not a too much of a lead
1: no, okay I'll believe you for now so <laughs> besides, besides cricket bit of AFL and some F1 what what else do you watch on television what are your tv viewing habits like are you a closet reality tv fan uh
0: not too much I tell you what I do love though is uh, a bit of crime drama so Leah who, my partner she often whenever I'm sort of picking the next series that we're going to watch together she she sometimes gets stuck into me she's like I I just know you're going to pick a a crime drama and that's what we're going to watch so I got stuck on a a bit of a a bit of a a record there of picking back-to-back crime dramas and and she told me that it was her turn
1: nice one of course you also appear on television because the women are on television a lot more now playing cricket do you ever think about that when you play
0: Well, I felt for Sophie Molyne the other night. um, She got an unfortunate hit to the the face, which I'm sure was extremely painful, but in time as perhaps that goes by. I think it'll go down in in cricket folklore with the the taping that she had to her face towards the end of that game. But yeah, I I think you know if you make a mistake, particularly if you do something that's a little bit funny that'll end up on the team highlight reels in the the review. So sometimes you've got to be a little bit careful, particularly around some of our teammates who are happy to point out some mistakes. But quite often when you're playing, you totally forget about the cameras and it's not potentially till afterwards or if you're sitting off and, and watching the game that you realise that everything's getting captured. And, you know, when I first started playing, it was a little bit of a novelty, but it was a TV game. Whereas now, you know, obviously it's it's very much part of the landscape and it's quite nice, you know. It's it's nice that some of those moments are getting captured and certainly, you know, think back to that T20 World Cup final in Australia to know that that's all on record. And, yeah, you know, we also had that behind-the-scenes footage where the documentary got put together as well. Yeah, you know, I think in time we'll look back and just realise how much of a keepsake that is and, yeah, it's... It's awesome now that it's just so much more accessible and, and anyone can can watch the game. Does that include you all dancing on stage
1: at the end? <laughs> Funnily
0: enough, I actually missed that. Uh, I was in the, the waiting area um, because we, we knew that we were potentially going to get that opportunity to go up with Katy Perry. But I had a, a drug test that I knew I also had to complete and I was absolutely busting for the toilet. So that all happened maybe about an hour or over an hour after the game had finished and I just couldn't wait. And so I, I touched my chef on the shoulder and I said, oh, can we go now? I feel like if we go now, I'll be able to get back. And so I rushed down to the room, but there are a couple of players in front of me and I'd signed in. And so i basically I had to complete the test. So, yeah, unfortunately I missed that moment, but I got to relive it through my teammates and, um, you know, Molly Strano, Soph Molyneux, Erin Burns, I think they really made that moment their own.
1: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Rachel Haynes is our guest today. Rach, so many career highlights. Do you have a favourite?
0: Oh, look, uh, there's probably a couple. I think, you know, winning an Ashes Away From Home, was was really special moment. Uh, I didn't know if I'd ever get that opportunity to to play in an Ashes series again, and to be able to do that away from home in England, and just have such a dominant series as well from a team perspective. That was really rewarding. It would have been nice to get a result in the Test match, but unfortunately we we didn't didn't quite get there. And obviously the the home T Twenty World Cup, you know, those sorts of experiences are often once in a career opportunities, and to have that moment and I guess it, it became so much bigger than just playing and winning in a world cup. It was really symbolic about women's sport and just women in general and, and just showing people that, you know, they deserved those moments and, and deserved to sort of stand on that stage and, and have the support of such a, a huge crowd. And, you know, to think that we captured the attention of, of so many people. And even now in the street, you know, sort of talking about it, people stop and, Yeah, that's how I was there or um, how great was that? And it's just really, really cool as a player to know that, yeah, we we got to share in
1: that moment. Now, it's inevitable in a long and successful sporting career that there's also going to be challenging times. You touched on this before, but in the lead-up to the 2013-14 Women's Ashes, I think you were already preparing with the team in Perth and you were told that the numbers were cut and you were going to be, for want of a better phrase, excess to requirements. What do you recall of that and how on earth do you handle that?
0: Yeah, I, I was gutted to be honest. It was probably the first time in my career where I had that moment where I lost something that I really wanted to be part of. It's really hard to prepare for that as a as a player. You know, obviously now I very much understand that unfortunately it's it's part of the landscape, whether it be injuries or selection and form, you know, sometimes that leaves you a little bit vulnerable as a player. And yeah there's no doubt it took the wind out of my sails and it, it took me a little while to to sort of get over it so I, I lost my spot in the team and then maybe six months later I also lost my Aussie contract so it just completely changed my life and you know I was really grateful for the fact that I had really good support around me and Cricket New South Wales just were awesome and, and really sort of picked me picked me back up and got me on my feet and you know I went back out into the workforce and, and got a full-time job and those sorts of things and yeah, it was, it was a tough moment and, you know, I guess eventually I, I found my way back into the side, but, you know, that was really fortuitous as well in terms of uh, at that time there were injuries to two senior batters in Elise Perry and Alex Blackwell and I got called into a tour out of nowhere. So I was in Sydney on a physio bed on a Thursday afternoon and got a call from the head selector saying, how do you feel about playing cricket for Australia this weekend? And I thought, yeah, that sounds really cool. I'll be there. So I, I flew over to New Zealand, trained with the, uh, with the team on Saturday and I think played for Australia on the Sunday. So, yeah, it, it's, it's some really good lessons in there in terms of you never know how close you are to the selection or how far away. are. Um, but one thing you can do as a player is just stay ready. And, and that was probably the thing that I did in that, yeah, I was really disappointed in that initial stage where I did get dropped and it it changed a lot of things for me I had to to make sure that I had a job and all those sorts of things but yeah I think throughout that time I, I felt like I still maintained my professionalism and still tried to prepare as as best I could and you yeah, know I, I wasn't necessarily expecting another opportunity in fact I, I thought probably the door had closed a little bit um, on my ability to get back in the national team but you know sometimes someone else's moment Where it's not great for them in terms of injury, you know that can be your little moment that sort of changes things for you, and and that's what happened for me in that game. I think I I scored fifty and basically have have been part of the squad since.
1: What does it do to your confidence when you come back? Because I'm guessing that there would have been, however brief, there would have been a thought in your mind that, as you said, that's it for the the green and gold. That's it for the national team. You can consider retirement how hard is it to get the confidence back because when you came back you didn't just bounce back you rewrote your highlights reel in the in the years since
0: yeah it it definitely took me a while I I felt um sort of almost abandoned and not in a sense of um you know like people didn't care about me or anything like that but literally every decision I'd made up to that point was always around cricket, whether it be, you know, I can't go back home for a family event because I it's not going to give me the best prep possible for the next game or the next tour or whatever it may be. And so I, I always chose cricket and yeah, I felt sort of like all those sacrifices like, sort of made me question like, had I done the right thing from that perspective in terms of uh, I'd always chosen cricket when I made a decision. And so, yeah. And I guess going from being in the best 11 players to then all of a sudden not being in that at all, you know, not even being in the best 20-odd players anymore, it it was really tough. I don't think there's any shying away from that. And, you know, I think any athlete or, or person who goes through something like that and says it doesn't have an impact probably isn't being completely honest with how they've been able to process those type of emotions and feelings it definitely took me some time like I lost a bit of belief in in myself and a bit of confidence in my ability and those sorts of things and yeah it really made me question whether or not I had that passion and desire to get back and I think for a long period of time I probably didn't and you know it probably took me a good sort of 12 months to go you know what I'm playing i yes I still want to play cricket for Australia and yes I'm prepared to do what's required to get back there and to that level again and yeah I had a lot of support along the way too so that that didn't happen overnight it didn't even happen in 12 months it probably took me a couple of years to get back to that point where I wanted to be wanted to be part of it and I remember I got to this crossroads moment in I was working full-time and and playing and traveling and I had this period of maybe about sort of three weeks where I didn't have a a day off. So between my day job, playing cricket for New South Wales, you know, getting back to, to the office playing and training, I just didn't have a day off and I felt like I wasn't being, I wasn't good at my job. I wasn't being a great, great partner. And yeah, I wasn't being a great cricketer either. So I had that little crossroads moment and during that same period of time, the one-day World Cup for Australia was going to be at the back end of our season. So I went to Group New South Wales and said, look, I just I can't keep doing this. I'm basically running myself into the ground. I'd like to have one more crack at, at breaking into the national side. Is there anything you can do to help me? And at, at that point in time, Len Lease had just come on board and increased their sponsorship of the New South Wales Breakers team. So the contracts were, were going to get a, a little bit bigger. And New South Wales offered me a a role there a few days a week. So, yeah, that that helped me sort of be able to find that time that I needed to invest into my game. And, yeah, obviously still earn money. I had a mortgage and those sorts of things. I couldn't just not work. So, yeah, I'll I'll never forget that. And, yeah, it's probably a valuable lesson in that how just – being able to ask for help when you need it. And that was very much the, the position that I felt I was in.
1: As you say, having people around you that, that believe in you really helps. Now you have a partner that absolutely believes in you. Leah Poulton has a pretty impressive cricket CV of her own. Does that make life simpler when you have a partner that just gets it or do they offer unsolicited advice? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, there's d- definitely been some unsolicited advice, but you know it's it's probably been bang on too, to be honest. She, she's pretty good at, at reading the game and and also probably reading me too. So it, it's all been fair, albeit you know for me through gritted teeth at times. But um, yeah, she she's been amazing, and honestly, it probably has been really good that she has experienced some of the the things that I've experienced before so you know she understands what it's like at the elite level that sometimes you don't necessarily have control of your diary either and that in a whim you could be off somewhere else or perhaps not where you said you were going to be at a particular point in time so she's been amazing across my whole career and no matter where I've been in the world I've been able to reach out and and contact her and, and talk through any situation and yeah it's it's it makes a huge difference having a partner who's supportive and and very understanding of the situation and and your job and it also means that they know exactly what your job entails so you can't really make things up because they know exactly where you're going to be and what you're doing.
1: (laughs) And you better hope that the big bash doesn't interfere when she goes into labour. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us on Trailblazers. All the very best for both your cricket and of course for the arrival of your new son. Thank you.